Hey, Redemption family, thanks for tuning in today. We hope this message encourages you. Be sure to tune in live on Sundays at 1030 a.m. at rttnchurch.com. Stay standing for the word. I want you to take your Bible. I want you to open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 14. Today, I'm starting a series called Radar. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, Radar. It stands for recognizing and discerning associations and relationships. And I want you to know that we are in a critical time in the kingdom where you need to recognize your future. I need to recognize that my future is in many ways directly connected to the people we are connected to. And I believe God is positioning some of you for a very different future and you need to take note of the people God is sending into your life and praise him for the people he's removing out of your life. Because you'll ne- listen, you'll never get to the right destination running with the wrong people. And I believe that God is aligning relationships in every one of our lives. We need to receive this today. Don't panic if God's removing people and don't get nervous about God bringing new people. If he's pulling out old people, don't get nervous. If he's bringing in new people, don't get nervous. There's a future that he has in mind for you, and it is directly connected to the folk that you are running with. And if, if you got different friends and relationships in the last several weeks, months, and even the last year, I want to tell you, it means that there's a different future God has in mind for you, and you ought to praise him because he knows the thoughts he has for you, and he's got thoughts to bring you a hope and a future. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. So today we're going to talk about team because how many know that team and the team you're on is important about the the battle and the game that you're in? In fact, I want to preach a message this morning called There Is No I in Team. Team is T-E-A-M. There's no I in team. And today I want us to leave with a deeper appreciation for the team that we're a part of. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, we're on the winning side. Too often we say, God, we want you to be on our side. The question is not, is God on our team? The question is, are we on his team? And today we want to talk about that one verse of scripture. I always read more than one verse because I believe the word of God can only be understood in context. But today I only need one verse. It's found in the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, the 14th verse. And we want to preach on there is no I in team. And I want you to put up 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. This is what it says. In fact, the body is not one member, but many. Could I insert this thought without doing an injustice to the Word of God? The team is not one member, but many. How many are glad you're part of a team? There is no I in team, so let's get that straight today and let God speak to our hearts. Father, thank you for the Word. Thank you for what you have on your heart. Thank you for what you do doing today and what you want to do and I pray God that you get the glory for every life that has changed and I pray you'll just catapult this house from one dimension of victory to a greater dimension of victory I pray we'll buy into the vision that you put on us and that we'll all run at the same pace and we thank you in advance for what you're going to do among the people of God today and in our hearts in Jesus name everybody said amen you can be seated so the book of Corinthians It's a pastoral book. It's a practical book. It's not like Romans. It's the same author, but an entirely different assignment. In the book of Romans, 
You have the Apostle Paul right into the book, right into the church at Rome. It was not a church that he planted. In fact, when he wrote the book of Romans, he hadn't even visited uh, the church at Rome yet. And so the book of Romans is very theological. It's not specific. It's one of the most general books in the entire New Testament. And it talks to us about the general application of grace and faith and how we get a, a victorious life in Christ. And it's a very general book. Why? Because Paul had never visited the church there. And he didn't have an intimate relationship with a lot of the people in the church. But the book of Corinthians is a different kind of book. The book of Corinthians is a book that Paul wrote because he had an intimate relationship with the people at Corinth. In fact, he planted the church at Corinth in many ways. He took responsibility for the people in Corinth. And that's why when you read the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is fixing a lot of issues that are going on in the church. He was fixing the issues because he had been there. He knew what they were dealing with. Word was circulating that there were problems in the church at Corinth. And because Paul was a leader, he felt the obligation and knew he had the responsibility of dealing with the problems in the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth existed in a grossly sinful environment. It was constantly influenced by... Uh, it's well documented, the sexual perversion in the Im and the immorality in Corinth. And many of the problems of the church in Corinth found their basis in the life of the city of Corinth itself. And while the gross immorality and sexual sin of Corinth is well documented, one of the greatest threats to the church at Corinth were the factions and the cliques and the division that had developed within the body of the Corinthian church. The presence of this factious spirit, this divisive, clicky spirit, was partly explained by the factious spirit in the city because the population of Corinth consisted of Romans and Greeks and many different Oriental cultures. The men that had traveled from all over the world to live in Corinth, you have this combination of all kinds of people, and so there was an absence, listen, of established aristocracy and because of that it made the people more democratic and intolerant of leadership and control and it was that independent spirit that carried over into the church from the people in the city and the people in the church at Corinth they were independent and they had the tendency to line up behind their favorite leader and it created this competitive nature in the church at Corinth this factious and divisive spirit is also revealed in the insistence of those who had spiritual gifts and wanted to interrupt the church to display their spiritual gifts in front of all the people. And so Paul's dealing with division. He's dealing with these different cliques. He's dealing with all these uh, different, different groups of people. He's dealing with these people that don't want to submit to leadership. And what we essentially have going on in Corinth is a number of believers who are living by their own agenda. They're not following any leadership. They're not following God. Everyone is calling their own play. So Paul, who is called by God to provide leadership to the church at Corinth, he reminds them that none of them are self-sufficient in themselves. None of them are the body of Christ alone. Everyone in the church has a future and a purpose, but it is tied to and connected to our willingness 
to recognize we are members of one another. In other words, it's not our it's not our cliques, it's not our clubs, it's not who we're following in the earth that matters. What matters is that we recognize Jesus doesn't have this kind of body and that kind of body and a, a Hispanic body and a white body and a black body and he doesn't have a church of God body and a Methodist body. He really has one body and if we're going to understand our purpose in the earth, it is tied to appreciating the fact that none of us have it all that if you want to find victory it's found in knowing we are one in Christ he reminds us do not compete with each other we don't compete with each other we actually complete each other we do need one another and this spirit that is floating around in the book of Corinthians is something we still find ourselves fighting in 2020 this attitude that it's, it's about our clique and our tribe, we become very tribal. We become very tribal. We actually focus more on our culture than we do our citizenship of the kingdom. And I want to remind you that my victory is not tied to, to what I was born from in my flesh. My victory and your victory is tied to what you became when you got born again into the kingdom of God. You are a child of God and that is why the devil will never be able to defeat you in your future. You will win. Somebody give God a praise. Not one of the members of the Corinthian church were individually complete enough to win the battle alone. Every person in the body is significant and as I told you last Sunday, something happens when we work together. It's called synergy. Look at your neighbor and say synergy. Let me give you a proper definition of synergy. Synergy is two or more things working together in order to create something that is bigger or greater than the sum of their individual efforts. I don't care how special I am or you are, at the end of the day, in our own self, we limit our future if we depend solely on our own ability. We maximize our future, however, when we recognize God sends people into our life to work with us to create something together that is greater than our individual contribution or ability in our own self. This is why people who are solo and islands unto themselves get very little done for God. God's kingdom will never operate or function in a way that makes you and I the Lone Ranger and we need nobody else to work with. So I want to just declare this over your life today. Your future is going to shift. Your tomorrow is going to get better. Your life is going to, uh, your life is going to become more productive. And it's not because you change clothing styles and it's not because you've got new colors of hair, highlights in your hair 
What's getting ready to shift your future is your understanding of the relationships and the associations that God is trying to send into your life. And your ability to work with people that are kingdom connections is going to turn your future around. And instead of closed door after closed door after closed door, things are getting ready to shift. And God is getting ready to send people into your life that actually have the ability to put a key in the lock that's been locked over your life and he's going to send some butlers and he's going to send some bakers and he's going to send some people that have the ability to take all your mess, put it in a bowl, stir it up and when it comes out, it used to look like batter but now it looks like a cake and everybody's going to want a bite of what God is doing in your life. It's how God works and what he's getting ready to do in the kingdom for you. Your future's going to shift. It's all about the team that you're playing on. There are three quick things that I want to give you about the team that you're on. And you need to catch this because this should remove nervousness from everybody in the room. Number one, we're not on our team. God is not on our team. We are on his team. And because of that, when you think about this concept of team today, and I know this is Super Bowl Sunday, and, and the Chiefs, yes, I don't know if they're going to win or not, but the Chiefs look like they got the stronger team to me. I want you to know tonight that Patrick Mahomes, what is his name? Mahomes. He is only as good, taking notes, write this down. He is only as good as the play that is called. Now, this team that we're on today, you need to understand something about it. We're only as good as the play that is called in football. And tonight when you watch the Super Bowl, much like life, victory is tied to the ability to call the right play on the field. While the play happens on the field, the play is called from the booth. The booth is located in a high perch at the top of most stadiums where the coach has a seat and he is watching from a high level, the big picture view of the entire field. He sees the opponent's formation. He knows the opponent's weaknesses. And based on what he sees happening on the field from this high level of view, he makes the call and sends it down to the field. It may not make sense to the players on the field, but they don't have the privilege. They don't have the privilege of seeing the big picture. And they don't, they don't know what is going on on the field. They have to trust the coach. And they have to trust the play that he calls. Come on, somebody. And I want to tell you today that their success is in the ability to properly receive the play that is being called in from the one that is in charge. Some people get themselves in a mess in life because they don't have the right play caller in their life. You can get yourself in trouble if you are not listening to the right voice call the right play in your life today. Some of us are listening to the play called by our past. Uh. Some of us are listening to the play called by a person we're in a relationship with who is leading us away from the things of God. Some of us are listening to the voice of religion. Some of us are listening to the play called by the voice of lust. And too often these voices call a play that is not part of our God-given future. 
But today we need to recommit ourselves to tuning our ear into the voice of God and hearing the play that God is calling for his people. We need to do this corporately. Come on, church. We need to say to God today as a collective body, we don't want to call our own play. We don't even, somebody said, what's your 12-year plan? I'm not even sure I got a two-week plan. I just want to wake up and, yeah, I got some ideas and I got some vision, but I want you to know right now, I'm tired of writing the script for my life. I want to find God in a way and in a place where he gives me a divine download about my future. It's bigger than what you thought thought it was. If you dream it up by yourself, you may, you may shoot too low, but if you listen to God, he'll do something so incredible in your life. At the end of it, nobody can receive glory for it but him. It was the Lord that did it. If you believe it, say amen. He's still calling plays for evangelism. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. He's still calling plays for revival. In the last day, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Sons and daughters shall prophesy. He's still calling plays for deliverance and healing because I want to let you know right now, and I preached this last night at another church, the gospel is not just for decent people who need a religious band-aid and a Sunday morning experience to fit in their American dream life. The gospel is for the nastiest, meanest, most messed up, craziest Y'all don't hear what I'm saying. Jesus didn't come just for the religious elite. He came for the down, the out, the messed up, the screwed up. That's who he came to save. If you believe it, say amen. But not only is he calling plays for our church, he's calling plays for our individual lives. Today in our individual lives, we need to make sure we are listening to the voice of the Lord and the next play he is calling for our life. And I want to tell you right now, he knows what play to call. Look at somebody, tell your neighbor, neighbor. Come on, talk to him like you love him. Say, hey, neighbor. He knows what play to call in your life. How do we know that God knows how to call the right play? Because you can check out his resume. You can trust God. How many know God's been calling plays for a while? Remember that game, that game in Cana of Galilee? When the wedding went into the fourth quarter and Team Jesus was called upon to help the wedding party because the wedding party ran out of wine and nobody knew where to get any so God knew what play to call. The Bible said that they went to Jesus and said, can you help us? Mary said, do whatever he says to do. What are we going to do? Put some, this is a wild play. Put some water in the water pots and see what happens next. You know the story. He calls the play. They put water in the water pot and the next thing you know, they put in water, but they're drawing out wine. Remember the game on the hillside that day? 5,000 men plus women and children. Everyone was getting hungry. No one knew what play to call. But Team Jesus said, don't panic. Bring me what you have. They took the five loaves and the two fish of the little boy. And Jesus called a play. He lifted it up to God and said, thank you. And then he multiplied the five loaves and two fish. And a couple of hours later, everybody had eaten a fish meal from Kentucky Fried Chicken or somewhere. Who cares where it came from? And everybody's full and there's 12 baskets left over. You remember how he, how he, how he played that game that night when the woman was taken and caught in the act of adultery. That game between
between the Pharisees and the woman caught in adultery. The Pharisees found her in a sinful place. The woman had ruined her reputation. She had wrecked her future. She destroyed her destiny. Everyone saw the mess she was in. Nobody knew what play to call to help her. It looked like certain defeat. But King Jesus bent over in the ground and he wrote something in the ground and he called for a play of forgiveness and freedom and he set the woman on a new course of life and gave her a hope and a future and everyone remembers the game at Calvary it went into overtime Jesus the son of God had been betrayed his beard had been plucked his face had been beaten the crown of thorns had pierced his brow his back had been torn apart by the scourge of the soldiers he had carried his cross up the hill with three nails they hung him high and they stretched him wide they mocked him they spit on him they laughed at him they grabbed a spear and stabbed him in the side and there he died he died until the sun hid behind the clouds he died until the earth shook and the sky grew dark he died until the law bowed over and fell into grace he died until they pulled his body off the cross wrapped him in gray clothes and put him in the tomb of Joseph but Friday Friday looked bleak Saturday looked sad but I came to remind you God is the one calling the plays and Sunday is still coming because on Sunday I feel like preaching right here the father called a play nobody was expecting it was called a reverse oh I feel like preaching you see it looked like death but God reversed it and gave him life it looked hopeless but God reversed it and gave him hope if God knows how to feed the multitude if God knows how to deliver the woman called in adultery if God knows how to raise the three day dead body of Jesus out of a tomb he knows what play to call in your life slap somebody in your neighborhood and tell them let God call the play In fact, this ain't in my notes, but I feel like God is about to reverse some stuff for you. He's about to reverse some reports that the doctor gave somebody. The doctor told you it's too late. The doctor told you there's no cure. The doctor said we didn't catch it in time. But God wants me to tell you healing power is about to reverse that thing. God is about to show up in your life. Somebody give him praise this morning. If you need a new beginning, he knows what play to call. If you need a healing, he knows what play to call. If you have children or family that have walked away from the Lord and don't know what to do, don't panic. God's calling the plays. And today we need to make some adjustments in how we live our life and quit listening to the wrong voice call the play and start tuning into the voice of the Father because he has good things for you in your future. And if you're going to get to the things he has for you, you got to stop listening to the wrong play being called. But not only does this team have a play caller that can't be trusted, you and I have a responsibility. Don't miss it. Take notes. We have a responsibility to execute our assignment. Jesus. Your victory over your enemy brings the entire team into a position to experience victory on a whole new level. David didn't have to defeat the whole Philistine army. 
David had to defeat Goliath. When David defeated his giant, the rest of the people of God said, if he can kill Goliath, I can execute my assignment and take out the one that I'm supposed to take out. See, sometimes you and I lose the joy in the journey because we're trying to fight every devil and we're trying to fight every enemy and you're trying to fight all of society's enemies and really what God's calling you and I to do is focus on our assignment. I can't get no help right here. Listen, I love you and God loves you, but you got to recognize Jesus is the one who came to, to win the ultimate victory, not you and not me. We have one thing to do, fulfill that one thing that we've been put on the planet for. And in our dealing with our enemy and focusing on our assignment, it releases our generation and positions our generation to walk in a measure of victory that we couldn't walk in if we didn't fulfill and execute our personal responsibility. God wants you to stay, look at your neighbor and say, stay focused. You are stressing us out. Every time we turn around, you got a new enemy. Every time we turn around, you got a new assignment. I guarantee you this, God is not gonna give you 13 new assignments if you hadn't finished one yet. I didn't get no help on that. Somebody say, how do I know how to move to the next thing? Have you finished the last thing? God wants you to finish and execute your assignment. You say, Pastor, I want to end abortion. How about you raise your children? Why don't you? I want to end abortion too, and we're going to see it end in our generation. But what if ending abortion was tied to raising up a generation of children who value life in such a way? Oh, y'all not hearing me. What's going to happen when three million kids march in Washington and tell Washington politicians, we want life in America? I can't find no help in here. Execute your assignment. David didn't defeat the entire Philistine army. He defeated Goliath and everybody else chased their enemy out the hills. Well, what if I don't get credit for my one little assignment? Listen, life is not about you and I getting the credit. It's about living so that Jesus can get the glory. See y'all next Sunday. How many know life is not about you and I getting the credit? Life is about making sure Jesus gets the glory. Now, there are, some, there are some football gurus that will know this, but if you do, just act like you don't. How many have ever heard the name Mark Tuane, Nate Newton, Mark Stepnowski, Kevin Gogan, or Eric Williams? Most, see, always somebody. Yeah. Most people don't know who those five men are. You know who those five men are? Those five men were the offensive line for the Dallas Cowboys in the golden years. How many have ever heard of Emmitt Smith? Come on, that's our hero, right? Troy Aikman, Michael Irvin. We know Troy Aikman and we know Emmitt Smith and we know Michael Irvin and they set all those records, but you never heard Mark Tuanay, Nate Newton, Mark Stepnoski, Kevin Gogan, or Eric Williams. Who are those men? Those five men were called the Wall of Dallas, the greatest offensive line arguably in NFL history. 
allowed fewer sacks and rushed for more yards behind those men than any other in league history. Here's the point. You don't know those five men's names because the world says they're not that significant. But without those five men executing their assignment, you never know the name Emmett Smith. And you never know the name Troy Aikman. And he never has time to throw the ball to Michael Irvin. What's the point? The point is we're, we're focused in the church on who gets the Pro Bowl and who gets the MVP. And at the end of the day, God is trying to strip us of all of the accolades of men and remind us that if we'll be faithful in that one one assignment, it may seem absolutely insignificant, but if you'll do what you're supposed to do, Jesus Christ is going to get the glory and his kingdom is going to be advanced and God's going to do something powerful in our generation. If you believe it, give God praise. I want you to know this today. We are in a time where ministries and ministers, I should say, are leaving the ministry at a rapid pace. And here's one of the greatest threats to ministry. It's called competition. We are consumed about making sure we get credit. And does anybody see what I'm doing? And I've often said it like this before. You can do what everybody wants to do while everybody's looking you got to first enjoy doing what nobody wants to do while nobody's looking. Do you know why David got the privilege of cutting the head of the giant off and carrying it back and receiving, receiving the, the, the blessing of, of not, how many know not paying taxes is a tremendous blessing? That, 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 was one of the, that was one of the perks of killing Goliath. He didn't have to pay taxes. And also he got to marry the daughter of the king. And we always look at David and the, and the people of Israel sing their songs. Saul has killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. And we sing that, and they sung that because David killed Goliath. But can I tell you something? Before he ever killed Goliath, he killed a lion, and he killed bears, and he served his brothers. I mean, I know how to kill a shout, right? He served his brothers. You can actually descend into greatness. How do I climb higher? I don't know how you climb higher, but I know how you can descend higher. You see, that doesn't make sense. That's why, that's why we're part of the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom of, of not making sense. If you want to be great, be the servant of all. If you want to be exalted, humble yourself. The world tells you market yourself. Jesus says humble yourself and I'll market you. And he would never ask you to do something he wasn't willing to do. Let this mind, Philippians chapter 2, be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of a man. 
And when being found in the fashion of a man, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name that if you want God to give you a name, humble yourself and quit trying to make a name for yourself and let God make a name for you. Come on in here, somebody. He humbled himself and God gave him a name that was above every other name that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow, things in heaven, things in earth things under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The way into greatness is through descending through humility and submission and serving. If there's something in your heart today that drives you to be known and seen, crucify it. God wants the church to be full of life and the greatest life we will ever have is just knowing how to execute that one assignment God has given us. It, it's like I told you last week and I know I make a big deal out of this but, but you would be amazed at the people who come to our church. It has nothing to do with the preaching, nothing to do with the singing. It has to do with that one children's worker that makes that child feel like a million dollars and they're at Disney World when they come to our church. You say, Pastor, are you serious? Yes. One, you got, look at your neighbor and say, you got one assignment. Find it. Tell them, find it. Okay, I'm getting ready to, I'm getting ready to tick 80% of y'all off right here. Everyone stand up. Everyone stand up. Everyone stand up. Hurry, 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 hurry. Real quick, I'm going to let you sit back down and go back to sleep, but stand up. <laughs> Turn around and put your hand on the seat. Hurry, the seat you were sitting on, feel that heat. That is not your contribution to the kingdom of God. Oh, I told you I prophesied 80% of y'all. Give me my stuff. I'm up out of here right now. He offended me. That is not your contribution to the kingdom of God. God didn't save you to sit you on a bench called a pew. That's why it stinks called you... You've been sitting there too long. God is trying to get you engaged in the kingdom. Do you hear what I'm telling you? People are dying and going to hell, and we got churches splitting and arguing over what color we're going to paint the walls. This is crazy. It's anarchy. And the reason why we got so much, so many churches that aren't growing and no one's getting saved, it'll blow your mind. It's because we're arguing over stuff rather than using our energy to execute our assignment. We ought to be praying, fasting, preaching, loving, serving, going. Look at three people in your zip code and tell them it's time to get in the game. God didn't give you gifts to sit on. God didn't give you abilities to sit on. God didn't give you influence to sit on. He saved you and put weapons in your hand not so that you could sit down and watch other people use their sword for the glory of God. Pull your sword out of your sheath and use it for the glory of God. Execute your assignment and bless the whole house by your obedience. And I'm almost through. But... Not only do we have to recognize that our team has a master play caller, not only do we have to execute our assignment, but I'm going to say something this morning. We got to learn how to celebrate victories. Yeah. 
I got, I got people acting like they're wide receivers right now. <laughs> Y'all at your mind. Here's the deal. The church has forgotten how to celebrate. Is this thing on? We have forgotten how to celebrate. We got cute and we've gotten in a hurry. And I want to tell you right now, if we know how to celebrate in many places, we don't know what to celebrate over because, listen, let me remind you, heaven knows what to celebrate. Let me show you. Every time one sinner comes into the kingdom of God, you know what angels do? Yes! You know what that is? It's called a spike. How many remember? <laughs> I'm getting ready to have fun. Y'all can look at me like a bunch of religious people if you want to. How many remember William Perry for the Chicago Bears? 382-pound defensive lineman. And the Bears are on the one-foot line. And Coach Ditka says, give the ball to William Perry. 382 pounds. And he lines up one foot, takes the ball, runs over the entire defense. And the big man takes the ball out. And he takes it all about five steps. And he celebrates. And he goes crazy. And Man, and he spikes the ball. What's the point? Stop sitting there when people get saved and looking at your watch like you're in a hurry. The greatest thing that could ever happen is for one sinner to walk down the aisle and say yes to Jesus. And every time it happens, give it a football. Somebody give it up for Nari, come on. Every time somebody gets saved, we're gonna make it a big deal in this house. Every time somebody gets healed, we're gonna make it a big deal in this house. Every time somebody gets a house, we're gonna make it a big deal in this house. Every time one of our members run for a political office and they win and we turn the city around, we're going to spot the football and celebrate. This is a house of rejoicing. What's happening? All these people are screaming and stuff. This is a church. How dare him? You know what? If Ed McMahon, God rest his soul, ever showed up on your front porch, and said, for the rest of your life, I'm going to give you $15,000 a week. You wouldn't be like, oh, it's wonderful. You'd be like, Junior, get in here. The double lot would shake, and you would call everybody in your phone book and say, look what the Lord has done. And I'm going to tell you right now, angels don't get happy over $15,000 checks, but they do get happy over one soul. And I need a church that will learn how to celebrate salvation. Somebody give it praise.
Remember this one? The dirty bird. That was the Atlanta Falcons back in the day. How many know what I'm talking about? Is Christine here? She's in. Well, you can do it for her. Come here. Come here. Come here. Yeah, we're going to celebrate. I'm going to quit preaching in a minute, but I feel like celebrating before I stop preaching. Why is he coming up here? Not because he got a jacked up Green Bay jersey on, but because three years ago, his wife was told you're not going to live. They looked at us and said, you better make funeral plans. They looked at his children and said, your mama's not going to make it. But this morning, she's alive in Nashville with her brother. Help me celebrate. Celebrate. Somebody give God praise. Somebody give God praise. And the reason she's in Nashville is because she's been praying for two years for her brother to get a heart and liver transplant. It just happened, and he's doing well this morning. How many got a reason to celebrate in this house? Has he been good to anybody in this place? Somebody take 15 seconds and celebrate the goodness of the Lord. I said celebrate the goodness of the Lord. Where the prison ministry at? Last night, 22 people gave their heart to Jesus in prep. Somebody celebrate. The church has lost the art of celebrating. And let me tell you why. I'm through. You can stay standing. You know why we've stopped celebrating? Give me a napkin, a tissue, something. This is a flag. And the referee, when he sees excessive celebration, Calm down. 15-yard penalty. Why? What did I do? You got too excited. It's called the praise police. Churches are full of praise police, otherwise known as Pharisees. I need to inform the Pharisees. You walked up in the wrong environment. If you got a religious finger and you got a religious attitude, you are not going to make it till next Sunday. Oh, Lord. Because you walked into a house this morning that believes God is great and greatly to be praised if you believe he's great and greatly to be praised somebody help me celebrate help me celebrate that Athens is going to get turned upside down help me celebrate that Chattanooga is going to get turned upside down Help me celebrate, sons and daughters are coming home, yes!
feel the Lord in this church right now. So, put your flags away. Because like David said, if you think that was something, I will be more undignified. Well, Brother Wallace, we are shocked at how little dignity you have as a man of God. Unless you, can, unless you can't see it, dignity is not high on my list. I'm not trying to impress you. I'm here to make a really big deal out of the things that are a really big deal to God. And enough of all the craziness and chit-chatting. Listen, we're not going to get caught up in these arguments. We're going to celebrate. Not just when sinners come home, not just when people get healed, but we're going to celebrate victories in each other's lives. When God blesses you, if I'm connected to you appropriately, then I don't have a problem celebrating your victory. Because your victory, oh, tell your neighbor, say your victory. Tell them like you love them, say your victory is my victory. Come on, somebody in this room right now, I want you to show your neighbor how you're going to act when God blesses them and answers their prayer. Yes! Yes! When he saves your children, I'm going to dance with you. When he heals your body, I'm going to dance with you. When he touches your finances, I'm going to shout with you. Hold on. Throw those hands up and help me thank God for his goodness all over this room right now. Help me thank him for his goodness. That, that, that he hasn't even revealed yet. Oh, there's been so many things he's already done, but how many can praise him for the best that's on the way? Come on. We thank you, God, for the good things you got in store for your people. We thank you that the best is still yet to come. We thank you, Father God, for what you got in store for your house, for our church, for our future. We thank you that racial walls are being torn down in Chattanooga, that God is raising up a kingdom expression that brings honor and glory to God. We thank you, Lord. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed and no one's leaving. You're in this room. And you say, Pastor Kevin, I need to jump in the game. I need to join the team. I want God to call the plays in my life. I'm tired of running. I don't want to call the own, my own plays anymore. I don't want to run my life anymore. I want to surrender and submit to Jesus. And I want him to be Lord of my life. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If I'm talking to you and you need to get right with God today, I'm counting to three. And if that's you, when I say three, just shoot that hand up and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want, I want my life to be changed and transformed today. One, nobody looking but me and God. Two. Three, throw that hand up and say, pray for me, Pastor. I see your hands. My God, hands up all over the room today. You can put those down. God bless you, man. God bless your family. Everyone look at me. There's someone on your left and someone on your right. You may have known them your whole life. 
You may have never met them before today. But today, I want every person in this room to help me in just a moment give an altar call. What are altar calls, Pastor? Altar calls are what we do in the church to give people an invitation to say yes to the call of God that is happening in your heart. If you lifted your hand saying, I need God, it's because somebody, Jesus, through his spirit, is knocking on the door of your heart saying, let me in, let me in. And if you'll respond and let him in today, he's going to change the rest of your life. How many witnesses do I have in this room right now that Jesus can change it all? Look at the person on your left and right. Ask them one question. Do you need someone to go to the altar with you and pray? And if you lifted your hand, or you should have, don't wait. Come join me right now. I'm walking down these steps. I'm coming to this altar because I want to meet you right now. If you want to come on, people are already coming. People are already coming. I want to give my heart to Jesus. Come on. If you lifted your hand, come on, or you should have, come on. Don't wait. Get in the game. Somebody help me celebrate. Come on, baby. Come on, sir. Come on, ma'am. Come on. There's time. We'll wait. There's room. There's a place. Come on. Get in the game. Get off the bench. There's a whole family coming. Somebody help me praise God. Somebody help me praise God. My God, we got families coming to Jesus today. We give you praise, Lord. Right there in Athens, come on home. You can come off the bench. You can get in the game. God ain't through with you yet. It's time to jump in this thing called the kingdom of God. I want pastors and leaders to come in Athens, pastors and leaders to come here. I want you to know this morning, if you'll give it to Jesus, he'll touch your life and turn it around. Everyone stretch your hands toward this altar right now. And I want you to pray like you wanted somebody to pray for you the day you gave your heart to Christ. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart. It was there My faith Sing family, come on And now I'm happy all the day Come on, let's sing the hymn together Come on, at the cross At the cross At the cross Where I first And the burden And now, come on, just one more time. The grace of God is flowing here. Lives are being changed. Sing at the cross, at the cross. If you know it's real, come on, lift your hands in thanksgiving to God. My heart rolled away at the cross. It was there. Father, we thank you 
for family members that are coming in today with open hearts, God. We accept them into the body knowing that you have great plans for every one of them and I'm praying for them now that the change that you are making in their life, Lord God, would become so real to them day by day. Give them multiplied grace and peace. Touch them in Jesus' name. We pray, God, that they would disconnect from their past and they would find a connection in you to their future, Lord. Jesus, you are their future from this day forward. And I pray every day they wake up, they'll live for you and your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we thank you for it. What's your name? Father, I pray for Jordan right now. I thank you for his life, God. And I thank you that whatever, hap whatever has happened in this life up until this day, every bit of it, Lord, is washed and under the blood. And I pray from this day forward, a great grace and power from heaven would come upon his life. It's your spirit living in him, rearranging his affections, his desires, and his dreams. We bless him. We declare you have a life and a future for this young man. And Father, as I pray for him, I pray for every person in this altar. I thank you that every yoke of the enemy is broken off of their lives. Today, Father God, they become the property of the kingdom of God. Jesus, praise your name. And I thank you, Father God, for putting his feet on a new path and giving him faith to walk day by day with you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Listen, shake hands with about 114 people. Hug somebody. Listen, if you're not registered yet for a house fire, get plugged into that. A lot of good stuff's happening. We want you to be a part of it. I love you. Go in the peace of God. I'll see you Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. Don't forget, times are refreshing this coming weekend. Friday and Saturday, be here. Tomorrow morning, we begin our prayer time at 7 a.m. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Our fast is this coming week. Join us in setting something aside in prayer, seeking the Lord. Go in the peace of God. God bless.